tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, here we are for another hour of fun with Scripture. Maybe we should call it that. Or like I wanted to call it, the Reverend Know-It-All's Fire Baptized Gospel Hour. But it wouldn't fit on the logo. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created. You shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, Defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil angels and, and his angels who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I remember one of my former parishioners said his favorite part of the show was when I messed up the prayers. I don't know. All right, moving along. Let us go to the, the we just heard the big book on the coffee table opened and we will, we will uh, jump into it. I'm going to look at the whole chapter today because, uh, um, oh yeah, the voice says, I said, it's not like, yes, it is. Well, the, the, uh, remember, uh, David, or Saul rather, has gone bonkers. Um, uh, I think that's the technical term. He has become absolutely paranoid. And um, uh, we see this. Somebody pointed out to to me that um, actually (laughs) Count Stephen, he's an accountant. Count Stephen pointed out to me that it was Saul's job to confront Goliath. Remember, Saul was not short. He was he was a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. So he was not quite a giant. I mean, Goliath was freakishly tall, but uh, David, or rather Saul, was was tall and a, and a great warrior. And um, well, it was Saul's job as the king. He, you know, kings led from the front. They were supposed to. And um, well, he didn't do that. He let David do it. Now, uh, the and, and remember that, that Samuel the prophet has already told Saul that the kingship has been taken from him. So increasingly, Saul is becoming paranoid. And uh, David is presented to Saul, we find, in uh, the previous chapter. We're, we're going to look at the whole chapters here because you, you're not going to get the story. This is the end of chapter 17. Um that that um, 
David is presented uh, to to uh, Saul. Um, let's look at at verse um, thirty two. David of chapter seventeen. David spoke to Saul um, and said, "My lord, don't lose heart. Let your servant go and fight the Philistines." Saul says to David, "You're just a kid. What do you what?" I'm paraphrasing. David said, oh, your servant used to tend his father's sheep. And whenever a lion or bear came out to carry a sheep from the flock, it would chase it, attack it, and snatch the prey from its mouth. He was always killing lions and bears. Oh, my. No tigers. The uncircum- That's in line 36. The uncircumcised uh, Philistine will be as one of them. And David continued, the same Lord who delivered me from the claws of the lion and the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said, okay, go and the Lord be with you. Saul dressed David in his own tunic with a bronze helmet and a coat of mail and, uh, you know, with his own armor. And David, it's a, he's a little guy and he's struggling under all this weight. And uh, um, he said, I can't do this. and took them off. So he took his staff. He got his five smooth stones. And he put them in his shepherd's bag, and he came up to the Philistine. And David, in verse 41, uh, uh, we see he confronts uh, uh, Goliath, who says, but you're just a kid, you know. Go back home to mother, you pretty boy. And that's the word he uses, yafe. And so uh, uh, David put his hand into the bag. He took out a stone, hurled it with the sling, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone embedded itself in his brow. He fell on his face to the ground, and David triumphed without a sword in his hand. David ran and took the Philistine's own sword and killed him. He wasn't dead yet, and he cut off his head. This is this is pretty graphic stuff here. Well, the Philistines scattered. So David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he kept Goliath's armor in his own tent. That's interesting. He he took spoils from the battle, which is, uh, well, that's kind of, mm, what's the word? That, that He should have given them to the king, but he didn't. He kept them all to himself. Uh, well, moving along here, let's see here. Oh, good grief. I've pressed a button and gone to the wrong place. I'll press another button and get back to where I want to be. The end of chapter 17. So we have this encounter you know, at this point, Saul really is noticing this this kid. Saul watched David go out to meet the Philistine. He asked his general, Abner, whose son is that young man? He says, I don't know. That's Abner the general. And he said, find out whose, whose son this is. So uh, um, Saul asked him, whose son are you? And he said, I'm your servant, son of Jesse of Bethlehem. So this is a problem, biblically, or, or in terms of interpretation. We have chapters, two chapters that both talk about the introduction of Saul uh, and David, and they seem to contradict each other. That's because they're, they were both handed down. I, I explained that yesterday. So uh, it, it talks about the veracity, the truth of Scripture. So, well, now we move on to the next chapter, chapter 18. And by the time David finished speaking with, John, with Saul, Jonathan's life became bound up with David's life. He loved him as his very self. This is this is Jonathan, who's the heir to the throne, and Jonathan realizes this guy is he's the future of Israel. Jonathan and David may have made a covenant because Jonathan loved him as his very self. Now, uh, Jonathan took off the cloak he was wearing, handed it to David, and David carried out successfully every mission on which Saul sent him. 
And here we come to today's reading. At the approach of Saul and David, on David's return, women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet Saul the king. And they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And Saul became angry. This to me is, is, is very telling that, that Saul has lost the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I remember um, hearing the story of a minister who was, he was the pastor of church of what's happening now. His church was packed. And then a more interesting preacher moved into a church down, down the road. And pretty soon uh, the congregation had dwindled. And one night there were just a few people in, in, in the congregation. He said, where's everybody? Said, well, they're down at the church of the, the latest fad. And the minister, instead of becoming angry, said, well, let's go down there and see what the Lord's doing. If you're serving the Lord, it doesn't matter that someone is more prominent than you are or does a better job of it. A real artist, for instance, looks at another person's art and recognizes beauty in it. A true artist can recognize beauty in his own work, beauty in the work of another. But you'll find people who claim to be artists will be say, well, I don't know that I would have used that color palette. And I, I do think the proportion, you know, they're busy tearing down someone else's art. Instead of being a servant of beauty, they're a servant of their own reputation. That's because they're not committed to beauty. They're only committed to themselves. And this is true in the business of religion. If there is someone doing a better job than you are, be glad and try to do a better job yourself. This is, this is to serve the Lord. And you don't, you don't get upset when someone else is serving the Lord better than you are because it means you stopped serving the Lord. In other words, you're serving yourself just as Saul was now serving himself. Saul thought he, he's got he's to gotta keep an eye on David. And then the next day, this is fascinating, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raged in his house. David was in attendance, and Saul was about to uh, uh, nail David to the wall, the text says. He was going to skewer him with that sword. So Saul sent him out of his presence and appointed him a field officer. David led the people on military exp expeditions, and he prospered. All Israel and Judah loved David, since he led them on their expeditions. Uh, this is just fascinating. Well... Um, Saul, Saul wants to give his eldest daughter, uh, uh, Merob to David, um, uh, to kind of, you know, the saying, uh, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. But Merob was married to someone else. Well, Saul's daughter, Michal, uh, M-I-C-H-A-L, Michal, loved David. When this was reported to Saul, he was pleased. He says, I'll offer this to him as a trap. So Saul has really lost it. He has gone um, kind of bonkers. Um, to me, this is fascinating. This whole story is amazing. This is one of the best short novels in history. And the thing that really strikes me about this is the scriptures are history. What history paints, uh, uh, what mythology, rather, paints 
the national heroes as such weak and 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 uh, struggling men. This is this is real history. Uh, I remember C.S. Lewis, um, who was an atheist, uh, finally read the, the Gospels, and after reading the Gospels, he said, "I study mythology. This is not mythology." So when someone calls talks about myths in the Bible, have they ever really read it or studied it? Well, no, it's mythology. Not mythology, it's history. Let's go to the gospel here. Hold on, where did I put the gospel? I got a, the gospel here somewhere. Hold on, scroll up. Good grief. Click one. Click the any two. key? There doesn't seem to be any any key. All this money for a computer and I haven't gotten any key. All right, I've got it. All right, this is um, Mark, the third chapter, the seventh verse to the twelfth. Jesus withdrew toward the sea with his disciples. Now, I think this is probably the Mediterranean here. Um, I think, let me see. No, no, this is, this is the Sea of Galilee. I'm sorry. Um, uh, Jesus, there's another point at which Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon, and that's on the Mediterranean. I'm getting confused here. A large number of people followed him from Galilee and Judea. Uh, they came to him also from Jerusalem, from Idumea, which is... Uh, way south, and it's uh, really Arab territory. The Edomians, or the Edomites, were converted forcibly to Christianity in the a century before Jesus was born. And uh, uh, Tyre and Sidon are pagan cities, so even the pagans are coming. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, so they would not crush him. He cured many, and as a result, those who had diseases were pressing upon him to touch him. You know, it is fascinating to me how People want miracles, but they don't want the gospel. I mean, when I'm sick, when I'm in need, when I'm having a problem, I want a miracle. Trust me. I'm, I'm, I'm in that crowd of people who prefer a good miracle to, to a good sermon. But remember what the scripture says elsewhere. Do not be conformed to this present age. We read in St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Do not be conformed to this present age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And the word for mind in that text is understanding. A renewal of your understanding. This is what God wants to do. He wants to renew your mind. What do you mean renew? Yeah, yeah. that's what repentance means. I've shared this with you, I'm sure, many times. But the word repent in Greek is metanoia. And uh, um, that word means have a new understanding, because understanding precedes action. Unless I am a stubborn, thick-headed, impatient person, if I see a sign, the bridge is out, I'm not going down that road. But uh, I've shared this also. I've done that kind of thing. (laughs) Driven down roads and say, the road is out, and I've regretted it. But I'm the thick-headed, stubborn um, etc. But normally, if you understand something, it changes your behavior. Robbing a bank is wrong. No, it's not. I need the money. Well, let me explain what's going to happen. Trust me on this. I, I, I've studied the topic. This is what will happen if you rob a bank. Oh, I see it. I see your point. Well, uh, um, A person who is is uh, unable to, to learn the unteachable spirit says, I don't care what you say. I'm still robbing a bank. It's going to work out in my case. No, it's not. 
The Ten Commandments are given to us to make our lives easier, not to make our lives harder. And most people just refuse to believe that, that 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 relationship is not going to make your life easier. It's going to make your life harder in this world and certainly in the world to come. Uh, Being a gossip or a liar, it's going to make your life harder. No, it's not. I really enjoy gossiping and I'm good at lying. Um, Trust me, in the long run, it's going to make your life harder. God gives us the commandments out of love. The commandments are grace. You know, we're not saved by the law, but we're saved by the grace of God's voice speaking in the commandments. And and I would much rather um, have a wonderful miracle than hear a good sermon. But the good sermon is probably what I need. Whenever unclean spirits saw him, saw Jesus, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. I've shared this with you. The devil never has a problem calling Jesus the Son of God. He has a terrible time with the Son of Man. And as far as I can see, that no one, at no moment in in the New Testament, does any demon-possessed person call Jesus the Son of Man. That's because the Son of Man is a celestial being who comes from the throne of God and comes to earth with salvation. Read about it in the book of Daniel. The devil is fine if God will just mind his own business and stay in heaven. But when God invades human life, the devil gets all upset. And we can see in the political institutions of the world in which we are living, how people have come to hate Christianity because Christianity is waking up. You know, people like me and you, we might grieve over the situation in the world and the church. But I think the fact that things seem so bad is really proof that things are going better than we think. This is an age of martyrs, an age of of people giving their life for Christ. And the devil would just sit quietly and, and enjoy things going along if they were going his way. But he's working overtime because things are not going his way. Uh, we may think they are, but I don't believe that. I believe that the devil is working overtime because he sees that the church is waking up to her moral and spiritual responsibilities. Um, There's never been an age when there have been more martyrs or more persecution of the church. Even the age of martyrs, the beginning of the church, has nothing on what's going on today. The hundreds and hundreds of Christians who are killed regularly. um, We have millions of modern martyrs, millions. I don't think that's an exaggeration. And guess what? The devil is not happy with it. That said, let us remember that that we need to let Christ change our minds, not just do what we want. All right, let's let's take a break. I hope I've made some sense. You can call in at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. And I will attempt to answer your questions in a coherent and cogent way. But, Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. In the morning when I rise, in the morning. 
Petition there is in the business of religion. You know, I guess I do get very frustrated, I suppose, by the business of religion. And that sounds kind of irreverent, but don't fool yourselves. Oh, I'm, I'm off on a tangent. Why not? You know, I think I've shared with you, it's so easy to, to depart from a saving faith into a notional faith if you are in the ministry, especially if you make your living in the ministry, which is as it should be. Bible says the worker is worthy of his hire. Do not bind the ox that treads the, do not muzzle the ox that treads the, go, the corn. Um, no, it, it's um, clear uh, that, that um, the scriptures are clear that, that, that to be professionally religious is not a bad thing. However, the great problem with becoming professionally religious, whether you are ordained or not ordained, if you work in the chancery office, if you are the janitor, if you are the religion coordinator, if you're the choir director, it is so easy to depart from saving faith to notional faith. Saving faith, you know, I love the definition, the best definition of evangelism I have ever heard was to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, not a historical or a philosophical or a theological or theoretical uh, knowledge um, or an institutional knowledge. It's a saving knowledge that, that you draw close enough to Christ. Um, uh, um, oh, good grief. Now I'm on, off on a tangent and a tangent. Um, I, I, I don't know if this happened to me or someone else. You know, when you're old, the stories sort of melt together. But I'll say it's me because it might as well have been. Uh, when I was in visiting the first time visiting my cousins in Germany, I, the family had we'd found each other after the unpleasantness of the 20th century. And and I was over there and I was walking through this medieval village, this tiny little village. And I got hopelessly lost in these little alleyways. And there were a bunch of kids playing. And I asked them in my very bad German, um, where is such and such? And... Uh, they tried to answer my bad German with their bad German because it turned out they were not Germans. They were the children of guest workers. They were, they were Turkish. And this frustrated little kid came up and took my hand and led me around the corner and pointed. There was my cousin's house and tavern. He kept, he was a tavern keeper. that um, lived above the business. That little kid didn't show me the way. He was the way. Jesus doesn't say, I'll show you the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you enter into a relationship close enough to Jesus so that he can take you by the hand and show you where to go, that's saving faith. The intimacy with Christ is saving faith. Now, what do I mean when I say forgetting saving faith and entering into um, notional, notional faith. In other words, you have the notion of these things. You have the understanding, the intellectual, cerebral understanding of these things. Uh, I remember when I worked at an orphanage years ago, 
there was a, a Jesus rock band came to the orphanage and everybody got saved big time for about two weeks. And, but some of the kids genuinely had a powerful conversion. And, um, there was this older nun who was a wonderful woman, very good woman. And she's looking at these kids who are all excited about Jesus. And she said so touchingly, you know, when I first joined the convent, I felt that way. It was so beautiful and so sad. You know, when you start working in the religious ed program, you're doing it for Jesus. When, when you, when you uh, uh, join a rectory staff, chances are you're doing it for Jesus. When you're ordained, you're doing it for Jesus. But then you get busy and you got to fill out all the papers and make sure this is done and that's done. And yeah, I'm doing it for Jesus. You forget what you're doing it for. And you go to meetings where, all right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, what's on the agenda? And then you end with a prayer. <laughs> Jesus doesn't get a vote. The Holy Spirit doesn't get a word in edgewise. That we run, we have enough faith to think this is probably true, so let's keep going on. We're doing good for the world, and we're doing good stuff, so let's, let's, you know, if we have to clothe it in, in, in Christian language, fine. Do you understand what I mean by notional faith? Um, Saul <laughs> had reduced himself to notional faith, whereas David was a man after God's own heart. And so often in the business of religion, we reduce ourselves to notional faith instead of saving faith. And that's why the church is dry and confused and, well, just kind of in trouble. And I think that we, all of us, anybody who's listening to this, from the janitor up to the bishop, I, I don't think too many bishops are listening. They, they're too busy. But question yourself. Is my faith saving faith or is it notional faith? Um, and I need to question myself on that. So uh, that said... Oh, um, give me Jesus. You know, you can have all the rest. You can have the accolades. You can have the, 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 you can get your project done, all that. I don't really care about it. Give me Jesus. All right. That said, did we do the letter thing yet? No. All right. Let's go and do some letters. Um, this is, uh, uh, somebody who's listening from Modesto, Trisha. Um, this is kind of confusing. It's it's a little long, but I think it's worth looking at. Um, Peter, who we think of as the first pope, made the strong implication of 1 Peter 2.9 that there was no need for a mediatorial and hierarchical clergy system to be developed, he proclaimed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This was not an original thought. Uh, uh, Peter's. He was echoing what God said in Exodus 19.6. You should be unto me a kingdom of priests. Okay, well, let's look at these passages. Let's look at First Peter 2.9 uh, and see what Jesus is exactly saying, because I think you'll be a little surprised at what Jesus is saying here. Okay, I got it, I got it. Don't worry, okay, okay, I got it. I'm there, I'm there. Okay, phew. Uh, one more click, one more click, just one more click. I got to get the Greek text here. You, yes, you are a chosen generation, uh, uh, a royal hierat, hieratuma. Okay, hieratuma. 
I've shared this with you. Ahiratuma. Hieros means holy in the terms of sacrifice. A priest is a hieros. He's a sacrificer. That's that's the 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 what the word means. And a uh, uh, a holy nation, uh, a people belonging to God. That's what what Peter says. Now, um, where did I put the letter? Okay. This was not an original thought of Peter's, but he was echoing what God said in Exodus 19.6. So let's look at Exodus 19.6. Okay. I'm trying to click fast here. Okay. Um, all right. We got Exodus 19.6. Um, and let's look at the word here. Uh, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests. In Hebrew, that is a malkuth. Uh, 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 a mamlachet, I'm sorry, a mamlachet, kohanim. A kohen is someone who offers sacrifice. So we have two words, kingdom of priests and uh, uh, people who offer sacrifice. Okay. Now, once again, let us look at the, the text in the letter. And this is a person who is saying that we shouldn't have clergy because all people are priests. This is not a new idea I'm sharing with you. The word priest in English is used to translate two completely separate words in Greek and in Hebrew. One means sacrificer, the other means elder. We are a sacrificial people, a people of sacrificers, but we have a governance of elders as did ancient Israel, as did uh, uh, the early church, and as the church has had all along. The word elder is presbyteros, which comes into English and most European language as priest. Uh, and, and the word sacrificer, uh, hereos in Latin is sacerdos. We will call priests sacerdos in, in Latin, but we're ordained as elders, uh, we ordained to the sacrificerhood of Christ in the order of elder. Uh, a bishop is ordained in the order of supervisor. That's those are the words of of the ceremony. So he wants all of us to be priests. So he wants to, all of us to be elders. No, he wants all of us to live sacrificial lives. And that sacrifice is wrapped up in the Eucharist. The idea of a mediatorial and hierarchical class didn't originate with the teaching of the super apostles. It crept in much later, the early part of the fourth century. No, it didn't. Read Hippolytus. Read Ignatius of Antioch. Uh, the person who wrote this, Tricia from, from Sonora, really doesn't know much about the history of the early church. Um, that, that, Ignatius of Antioch in the year 100 A.D., 110 A.D., at the latest, is is uh, is describing a church that has bishops, priests, and deacons. And that church existed from the earliest days. So, Tricia, I don't know where you're getting this stuff from, but yeah, I'm I'm you and I are both sacrificers, but I'm an elder, and it's my job to make sure that the church works. That's my job. I better be faithful to it. First Peter two nine uh, uh, is, is is saying that that um, uh, that that uh, you don't need uh, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and yet he calls himself 
a fellow presbyter, a fellow elder. Uh, let me let me pull that up for you, Tricia. Here, okay. Um, I your fellow elder. Okay, First Peter five one, as a fellow elder, that means presbyter, which is comes into English as priest. Tricia, you don't want a hierarchy, but you know what happens when you don't have a hierarchy? And hierarchy does not mean chain of command. Again, I point out to you, it means sacred leadership. You don't have a hierarchy. You find out what happened in uh, to this royal priesthood, this holy nation that we read about in Exodus. <laughs> when Moses went up the mountain, they went absolutely bonkers and had a wonderful time dancing about the golden calf. Um so when you are a kingdom, when you are a holy nation, a people set apart, things go fine. But guess what? We are sinners saved by grace, and we are a holy nation that sometimes acts in unholy ways. And Jesus established a structure in the church, and the early Christian writings in Scripture and after Scripture confirmed this. So, Tricia, I... I uh, I think you maybe need to study history a little more and study scripture a little more. And, you know, you might want to learn something about the early Christian authors. They had opinions, and their opinions, I don't think, agree with yours. It wasn't Constantine. You know, this idea, well, Constantine created the church, and, you know, that's the deal. No, that was 340 AD. There was a structural church from the very beginning. Uh, one more thought about this. Um <sighs> the number 12, when you see it in the scripture, always refers to government. It seems always. 12 seats of, 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 just, of judgment, 12 gates to the city, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 judges, uh, that sort of thing. So when Jesus appointed 12 disciples, he was saying, you're going to be a government for the church. He clearly established an organization because human beings live in the flesh and we need organizations. You know, uh, one last thought on this. I remember I was at a Bible study and a bunch of people with very dark suits and very big Bibles came and sat there quietly. And uh, when it came time for discussion, they said, brother, and whenever anyone looks at my little plastic collar and says, brother, I know there's going to be a fight. Brother, how are you saved? And I said, by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, saved by grace through faith. And they kind of looked at each other because I'd given the right answer. And eventually they said, well, we came to break up this Bible study because you're endangering these people's souls because Catholics know nothing about salvation. And so we got into a discussion. I, at one point I said, you owe your salvation to the Catholic Church. And the, the leader of the group became just furious. And he held up his big black Bible and waved it and said, I owe my salvation to nothing but the pages of this book. And I said, who do you think copied that book year after year and preserved it? Catholic monks writing, writing out the text in cold, uh, in cold uh, libraries of medieval monasteries with nothing but oil lamps to light their way as their fingers froze. It was their devotion to the Holy Word that brought it into your hands. And without the structure of the church, you would not have the Bible. So, Trisha, I say the same thing to you. If, if the Catholic Church for 1,500 years did not work at preserving that text, Lord knows what you'd be and where you'd be going. So, all right. God bless, Tricia. And I, I'll let you know that, uh, uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you know that uh, 
we just dealt with your your letter. All right, let us now go to a break, and we'll come back with a word of the day. And the phones, as I said, are open. 888-914-9149. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Father Simon says... What a way to make a living insulting people. I'm kidding! On Relevant Radio. Well, I've never been so insulted in my life. Well, it's early yet. Dust on the Bible, dust on the Holy Word, the words of all the prophets and the sayings of our Lord. Of all the other books you'll find, there's none salvation Get that dust off Amen. The Bible and I have been studying the Bible as I shared the other day since I was five years old. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was fascinated by the picture of Goliath in the children's Bible in the library. So there we go. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, that, that, um, okay, well, enough, enough. Let's go to the word of the day. I've been getting off on tangents big time today. The word of the day is sistrum <laughs> sistrum yes uh uh the, the ladies came out to meet uh um uh, uh king saul and david with dancing and tambourines and joyful songs sounds like a good old pentecostal prayer meeting but then they have sistrums what is a sistrum well i'm going to explain what a sistrum is the plural of course is sistra being a latin neuter uh um it is a it's from a Greek word meaning that which is being shaken. <laughs> What's shaken? All right, from the, okay, now. It was used by the ancient Egyptians, and to describe it, it consists of a handle, a U-shaped metal frame, and in it there are small rings or little, uh, you know, the little discs that you might have on tambourines. So it's kind of a handheld percussion instrument that just goes clink, 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 clink kind of thing. Uh, the, the, the system was very important in ancient Egypt and the Coptic church, which means the Egyptian Christian church, about 10% of Egypt, the original Egyptians are Christian and they have a fascinating liturgy, but it gets really fascinating when you get down to Eritrea and Ethiopia. Amazing. We used to have an Eritrean uh, Orthodox or a Coptic Mass, a Catholic Coptic Mass, when I was at St. Thomas, and you'd have a 10 o'clock Mass at night, which started at noon. And I, I would be asleep in my bed, and I would suddenly hear boom, boom, boom. Mass had started. <laughs> it was it drums, and it was it, they were wonderful liturgies. They did go on for a while, and they, if I recall properly, they used these sistra, or shall we, sound less classy and call them sistrums, which is not the right way to say it. They used these instruments. I saw two altar boys on either side of the priest distributing communion, and they shook these sistra the way we would have bells before communion. I thought amazing uh, that, that this universal custom 
uh, that goes back to the ancient Egyptians. You know, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And these are very human things, the 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 human art with which we adorn the liturgy. But, oh, they're human things. They're very wonderful. You know, well, that's just human. That's That's not from the Lord. Oh, yes, it is. Because humans are from the Lord, ultimately. All right, let's go to phone calls. Why don't you ask me a little easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. This is Cindy from Shelby Township. It's Minnesota. No, it's Michigan. Is it Michigan? Yeah, hi. <laughs> yeah, I got it right. What can I do for you? Yeah. Uh, okay, well, um, I grew up Catholic all my life. Um, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes practicing, sometimes not. And, um, you know, I'm just not... Uh, I don't know, I guess devout, um, mm-hmm. per se. Um, so, but my, I've always grappled with this, you know, going to Sunday school and, and just going to church and catechism. Mm-hmm. Why, I guess now in my age now, um, being around 50, what, why? A mere child, a mere child. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I wish. Um, why is there so much emphasis on Jesus? I I, I just okay. I hear every time someone speaks, it's now almost like everything is Jesus. Every, you know, and I yeah. and I get it. I you know I understand what Jesus is, and it, but I from your I just your opinion and your perspective and how you guys look sure. view things. Why? Sure. I don't. I guess I don't ever hear. Oh well, you know. G- it, it, the the basically the power it, it's always Jesus it's always handed to Jesus yeah. and I thought it's well Jesus. is there any power yeah. with with the people with us as being souls and God in ourselves all right well let's let's talk about Jesus then um, the, the Trinity we believe that God is a Trinity of persons one being in three persons that's crazy that means you got three gods no it doesn't because Jesus taught us something very important. God is love. All right, well, God is love. Shouldn't we be talking more about the people then? Well, let's define love. And I do this just about every day on the radio. Love is to will the good of another. Love isn't a feeling. Sometimes it comes with feelings. But it's to will the good of another. In other words, I want to do what is for your good. That's that's love. And we believe that God is exactly that. Now, God is love. And this is a problem because if God is love and he created everything out of nothing, who is God going to love? Well, he's going to love us. Yeah, but that would mean he was dependent on his creation for his existence. And then he wouldn't be God. So we believe that God is perfectly three. The Father and the Son love each other perfectly. And their love is this perfect third person, the Holy Spirit. They live in complete oneness. You know, you you love people. You've got family and friends. You love them. And, you know, a young man marries a young woman, and he loves her, and then he finds out she likes the room warm and he likes the room cold. And she finds out that he squeezes the toothpaste tooth from the middle and she squeezes it from the end. And they're these little things that keep them from being perfectly one. 
Well, God, who is perfect, hasn't a problem with that. He can be perfectly three and perfectly one. So God is a relationship. God is a family, the perfect family, St. John Paul the Great said. So that's what we believe about God. And God gave us the chance in the Garden of Eden to join that family, to be adopted into his family. And we said, nah, and he was heartbroken. And so he sent his own heart, his, his son to the world to show us what he was really like and to invite us once again to be part of that family. You know, we, we Christians, we don't believe we go to heaven. We believe we go home. We're adopted into this relationship. And Jesus is the guy, well, Jesus is the heart of God. I don't know if you're a mother, but what's your heart if not your children? God sent us his own heart, which we then crucified. The reason that we talk so much about Jesus is because he's the way home. He teaches us how to go home. And if we if we was just on our own, well, we'd get lost. You know, human beings are very, very imperfect. But there was one perfect human being born who uh, then gave that gift of perfection to his mother. But um, that's why we talk about Jesus so much. He's the way well, home. I guess, yeah, so that that's another thing is, I guess, the, the only other part, I think, well, there's two parts of that um, that I don't understand. And one of them being um, that it does sound like you, you as in you and the church, um, you understand the perspective of God. And yes, I don't we'd like, we'd like to be. think, yes. Well, because Jesus <laughs> okay. told us this. We believe he's God in the flesh. He's the creator come so to you earth. You have to assume There's... that in order to get there. I see, Oh, I no, see. I don't assume it. I don't assume it. I discovered it. I know it. I would like to recommend, recommend a book for you. It's called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton and another book by C.S. Lewis. You know who C.S. Lewis is? Chronicles of Narnia and all that. He was one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century about Christianity. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, Mere Christianity. And so those two books, Orthodoxy by Chesterton, which is a little drier, but Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, I want to recommend them wholeheartedly. Yeah, that, 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 that I believe that Jesus, the, the, the St. Paul said that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. If you get to know Jesus, you're going to get to know what God is like. And that's why we talk about him so much, because God God is, is love, real love, not this sort of, I love you now, but I don't feel it anymore, so I'm getting a divorce kind of love. We've discovered real love in the person of Jesus. So I hope that helps a little, Cindy, and, and I would recommend those two books. Again, uh, um, uh, uh, Orthodoxy by C.S. Lewis, but even more, Mere Christianity, or Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton, but even more, a mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's a one wonderful, wonderful book. Thanks for calling in. I'm honored that you listen. Let's go to Jared from Palm Har- Harbor, Florida, where it's warm. What can I do for you, Jared? Hey, Father Simon. Um, actually, it's not warm right now. It's cold and rainy. But uh, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> my question is: I know we have um, the record of the successors from Peter the Apostle up to today mm-hmm. with St. Francis. As a pope, I was wondering: Do we have? Any, is there any other record of the successors of any of the other apostles? 
with the um, not no, I, not of the other apostles, but uh, there each bishop has. Now the voice in my head will correct me if I say this wrong, but there's something called an episcopal pedigree that that the the uh, ordination of bishops can be traced back. But oddly enough, they come to a bottleneck <laughs> with an Italian bishop about I think about 500 years ago. But it's pretty clear that bishops uh, can trace their their roots back to the apostles. But I don't know that that we have the uh, dear voice in my head. I, you don't know of any other uh, uh, lineages of, of bishops exist from other from the other 12. I do not know. I wouldn't be surprised if the Orthodox have those records. Um, if someone knows, I would like to know. But I've only heard of the of the uh, the Episcopal pedigrees of uh, of uh, uh, Roman Catholic bishops. But it's very web the website is key. Yes, the voice I just told you. Website Catholic Catholic what? Catholic hierarchy, the website Catholic hierarchy might help. So you look at that, and again, if 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 anybody knows in the Eastern Church, if they if they kind of cherish those those pedigrees, I would like to know. I wouldn't be at all surprised if, for instance, the uh, uh, the Church in India ha- has records like that because they trace themselves back to Saint Thomas. Uh, um, they call the Saint Thomas Christian. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I don't know if that helps yeah. at all, Jared. Yeah, yeah, because um, like you mentioned earlier about the Coptic Church, and did, weren't they um, uh, St. Mark kind of, Yeah, uh, I believe, Mark. kind of was the yes. founder there, and who was he ordained by? Was he ordained by Peter? Because I know he, he like was kind of like... He probably, uh, probably Mark, he would have been ordained, yeah, he probably would have been ordained by Peter or by Paul, because he worked with both of them. Um, and so. then Paul, like, also, it wasn't like... Um, Timothy, like, ordained by Paul, and I think he was... Timothy was ordained by Paul, and Paul was actually ordained by the elders of Antioch. We have, uh, uh, the ordination of Paul is described in the Acts of the Apostles with the laying on of hands, and uh, I think that text does refer to his ordination. So the laying on of hands was a Jewish custom. Elders were ordained. Priests weren't ordained. They were installed in ministry because you were a sacrificer priest if your father was a sacrificer, if you were descended from Aaron. But the elders of Israel were ordained with the laying on of hands, and that's where we got that. That's where where Jesus took that ceremony from. So it's it's interesting okay. stuff. So if you find anything yeah. interesting out, send me an email or call back, because I'd love to know, too. I'll have to look it up. All right. Oh, even I learn things on this show. I hope you do. All right. Speaking of learning things, Drew is coming up, and he's a very smart cookie. 